who's going camping? Anybody? Cool. I'm going camping, and if you, if you know me, that's a big deal, because I'm like the opposite of an outdoorsman. I'm an indoorsman. And uh, my wife and I, we decided that we're going to have a lot of fun with our family, so I bought a special outfit. So I rolled down to Walmart yesterday. I love Walmart, right? You can get anything there, right? You can buy batteries and peanut butter. And, and what I bought there, though, was a neon blue, like a tie-dye blue shirt with an American flag and a bald eagle aggressively flying out of the shirt. America, you know? And I got that. I got a trucker hat that's camo with some sort of either a NASCAR and or tractor emblem uh, on the hat. And then Bethany had some sweatpants that were like capris or something. And so we cut them nice and short because uh, thighs out or skies out, thighs out. Right, Kyle? Thank you. And uh, they're, they're not inappropriate, but they're on the border. And uh, I'm going to wear those sweat shorts with my American flag, bald eagle, tie-dye blue shirt and trucker hat camo that's going to be tucked in with combat boots. So when we get there to the camping ground, my uh, family is going to have a good day, I hope. So uh, I'm a, how many of you like to see a picture of that yeah. next week? Okay. Bethany tried to talk me into shaving my beard and going mustache, but I'm going to lay off. No, I'm going to, I'm going to lay off. I'm going to lay off that. Well, uh, I, I just want to wish you a happy 4th of July and uh, have a great time. Don't get your eye blown out by a bottle rocket or anything. How many of you know the person who goes to like the Indian reservation and buys the illegal fireworks, right? And then you go to their house. That's where the good fireworks are. They have mortars and dynamite and missiles and things like that for the 4th of July. Because that's what America's all about, right? Is the ability to blow something up, like Bethany said. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we're here today. We're kicking off a brand new series called Bigger. Somebody say bigger. And uh, there's, there's certain messages that, as a, as a speaker, as a preacher, that, that really I get ignited and, and passionate about. And this was a series that the Lord just put in my heart because we're in a season as a church. We just planted a couple of months ago, but we're not settling in and saying, okay, uh, you know, we're about 75 to 100 people total in our congregation. So we're just going to kind of settle in and be comfortable with where we're at. We'll settle in. Uh, but, but God has been stirring in me that it takes big faith to do big things for the kingdom, Right. And uh, when we put our faith in a God who is bigger than every challenge, in a God who is bigger than every circumstance, in a God who is bigger than every fear, which our God is, right? He can do amazing things. And so this, this series, these messages that are going to come out in the next couple of weeks are really, I believe, birthed in the heart of God for our church and for this season. And I believe that it's going to be, God's going to be speaking to us as a people on two levels. The first level is us as an individual, that God is going to challenge you to have bigger faith, to have bigger thinking. To, to believe bigger, to believe uh, that God can do incredible things in your life and your family personally. Can I get an amen? All right. But God's going to also speak to us on the level of our congregation, that as a people, as a church, that we, we don't think small, we don't insult, insult God with small thinking, but that we are uh, risk takers, not because we just want to be risky, but because we believe in a God who is bigger and a God who wants to see great things happen in our city. Amen. And so God's going to be speaking to us on that level as well, both individually and corporately as a, as a church. But I really believe this, that the level of the God that we believe in sets the level of our boldness. It sets the level of our love. It sets the level of our worship. How many of you had a good time in worship this morning? The team did a great job leading us in worship. And, you know, I, I, I was telling myself, don't preach right now, because I wanted to jump up and start preaching about how big God is and how worthy he is of worship. 
There's power in worship, right? When we come together and we lift up the name of Jesus and we sing uh, songs of praise and worship, the presence of God comes in. God comes in and he, he transforms the atmosphere, right? So in, in this morning in worship, as we elevated the name of Jesus, as we elevated the name of our God in worship, we weren't just singing songs together, kind of kumbaya and having a good time. And, oh, that was pretty. And, oh, no, Judah missed the note right there. No, that's not what was going on. He didn't miss the note, but... That's not what was going on. The atmosphere was being transformed in this area, in this community, right? So worship isn't just something we do for ourselves. We, we worship God because he's worthy, but we also worship because it transforms the atmosphere where, as our value of our church says, we're aligning our life with the reality of God. There is a God. He exists. He's alive. He can change your life. He's worthy of worship, right? I'm just going to preach today. Is that okay? And so as we talk in this series about a bigger God, I'm going to throw a phrase out to you uh, that I believe is going to just be spoken over and over again. It's that we need to elevate our perspective of God. We need to elevate our perspective of God. Let me just say, as big and incredible and awesome and amazing as you think God is right now, you can still elevate it because you're not even close, right? We're talking about the God who is the galaxy creator. We're talking about the God who operates outside and inside of time and space itself. We're talking about the God who's, who, come, who came down and sent his son to die on a cross for us and paid the price and lived as a man among us, but also the God who is spirit, who is omnipresent everywhere. We're talking about a God that is mind-blowing, a God that, that literally cannot be contained by even the greatest thought that we could apply to him. You know, I want to tell you that God is bigger than anything we can ask or imagine, and we need to elevate our perspective of God. Because when our perspective of God gets elevated, let me tell you what happens. Your faith gets elevated, and God does incredible things in you and through you. And so, you know, when you talk about God blowing your mind, nothing really fits to, to describe God. But I, I wanted to show you a couple of things that really blow my mind that are amazing to me. So I remember when I was younger, let's go ahead and throw that first picture up there of the Grand Canyon. Can we, can we get somebody, Kyle, will you flip the lights? I just want to be able to see these pictures. We'll go dark here for a second. How many of you have ever had an opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon, right? Pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? I was, uh, yeah, there we go. Boom. Look at that. Who wants to go hang gliding? <clears throat> so this is the South Rim, and this is a portion of the Grand Canyon. This is not my picture. I wish I took good pictures like that. Ed could take a picture like that. But uh, this is the South Rim of the Grand Canyon, and I remember thinking, when I was young, I think I was like 10 or 11 when I went to the Grand Canyon. Oh, it's just a big hole in the ground. Uh, no, it's different than that. It is so incredibly awesome that when you see it, it takes your breath away. That's something that blows my mind. Now, go to the next picture and you'll see something that also blows my mind. <laughs> so we heard about this diner in Springfield called Addie's. Anybody been to Addie's Diner? Okay. And they said, the pancakes are big. And I thought, oh, I'd like to see how big these pancakes are. Look at my face. That is the face of a man who, first of all, has a gluttony problem. But second, I was literally amazed by the size of Addie's Diner pancakes. They're getting some free advertising today on the podcast. But Addie's Diner pancakes are mind-blowing. They're incredible. Like, you go to some other pancake place, and if you've been to Addie's, like, it just doesn't compare anymore. And I'll tell you that the pancake's not only large, it's also delicious. How do they work this magic to make a pancake so big also taste so good? It's mind-blowing. Like, we could go as a church today and all share that pancake. I feel like Jesus is back there multiplying the pancakes, right? Like, 
It's mind-blowing, okay? So you thought pancake down here on this level, and my perspective was completely elevated, come on, by Addie's Diner Pancake. Go to the next picture. When I was young, I thought, how many of you know who this man is? This man is a legend. That is Andre the Giant, right? If you have the words the giant behind your name, you're awesome. You know what I'm saying? We're going to talk about David and Goliath, who was also a giant today, but Andre was a gentle giant. He was a good giant. He played in The Princess Bride, right, if you've seen that movie. And when I was young, you can go and flip the lights on again. When I was young, I, I was just, my mind was blown. I heard the name Andre the Giant. And we didn't have Google when I was a kid. Like, when I was a kid, I'm dating myself, but, you know, uh, when I was a kid, like, we had, I think at some point dial-up came along. And I remember the Internet before it even was visual. It was, like, text-based, right? And we didn't have Windows, you youngins, like, where you can click on a little icon, make you know, and it's all pretty. And No, no, like you had to type in on DOS, the whole file directory system, you know. And so I remember hearing the words Andre the Giant, and there was no Google, there was nothing. But then one day on TV, I saw Andre the Giant. And I'll tell you that my mind was just blown. Now, those are just a couple of examples. And I know that we all have things in our life that are, are mind-blowing to us, that are incredible. Maybe you go out into nature and you see a mountain and it's incredible to you, or you go to the ocean and you're amazed by the power and majesty and, and, of the ocean. But now when you think about God is the maker of all of these things. Andre the giant is not a giant compared to God, right? Uh, the Addie's Diner, Addie's Diner pancake, God makes a bigger pancake and a better pancake, right? The Lord invented German pancakes, Dutch babies, right? That's like heaven on a plate right there. Uh, God is, is bigger And I want to challenge us that we should live our lives constantly amazed by the bigness of God. We should live our life constantly amazed at the majesty, at the power, at the awesomeness, at the bigness of God. I remember when I was uh, growing up, I played soccer. And uh, soccer isn't just a a sport for European little girls. It's actually a sport for American red-blooded males, too, because I played soccer. Uh, No offense to the to the girls, yeah, because some of the girls that played soccer would literally kill, kick the guys' butts. My Beth, my wife Bethany played soccer, and she was fierce. Yeah, pretty awesome. Uh, but uh, but I played soccer growing up, and I played on my dad's team, and he was a great coach, and uh, he would shout the entire time. He got kicked out of a few games, but he thought he was like coaching college football, and it was you know youth rec league soccer. But he was doing well, and our team we did really well for a couple seasons. But then this this one year. Uh, we got amazed because we got this player. And his name was Mike Williams. And Mike was one of those kids that went through puberty at about five years old. So he, yeah. So Mike comes in, and all of us are like four feet tall. And Mike comes in, he's like five and a half feet tall. And he had, a, he had like a beard. <laughs> he's 11, you know, has a beard. And he has a really deep voice. And he was like big muscles. And we're all like, on the team and Mike was our goalie and Mike was like a champion of champions and we were just amazed at, at Mike and the other teams would come in and they'd all you know waddle in, in their uniforms and they'd look at our goalie Mike and they would just like cower in fear just amazed at this incredible specimen of humanity now the problem that happened for Mike is that he never got any bigger than that so I remember like as, a, as an adult I saw Mike and I was like hey Mike <laughs> He was down here. 
because all the rest of us, we kept growing, but all of his growth and, and power and majesty happened as like an 11-year-old, and then he just capped him right there. But I remember just being amazed at the bigness of Mike. You know what I mean? Amazed at his speed, amazed at his, his dexterity, his agility, and that he left the other team uh, just shattered. They were like defeated before they even came on the field because we had this incredible guy on our team. And I want you to put what I'm talking about into the context of your life with God on your side, right? You ever hear kids say, like, my dad can beat up your dad? But think about this in the, in the context of God being with you, being for you. What happens to your fear about the challenge that, that you're supposed to take on? What happens to the, the, the fear when you get a perspective, an elevated perspective of not Mike Williams on your team, but, but God on your team? The bigness of God. You getting what I'm talking about today? Let's elevate our perspective. In Psalms chapter 147, verse 5, the writer of the Psalms, uh, there's different writers of the Psalms. I don't know exactly who wrote this one. It could have been David. It could have been another writer of the Psalms. But they capture this amazement at God. It says in verse 5 of Psalms 147, How great is our Lord. This isn't a question, it's a statement. How great is our Lord. We sing that song, How great is our God. Sing with me, right? How great is our Lord, the writer of Psalms says, His power, say power, His power is absolute. It's absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension, right? His his intelligence goes far beyond what we could imagine. It says the Lord supports the humble, but He brings the wicked down into the dust. Sing out your thanks to the Lord. That's what we were doing today. Sing praises to our God with a harp. He covers the heavens with clouds. He provides rain for the earth and makes the grass grow in mountain pastures. This is the God, the writer of the psalm here is describing the creator God above and beyond nature. He gives food to the wild animals and he feeds the young ravens when they cry. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. The writer here, this was like the greatest military strength, the horse and the chariot and human might. But you could say in our context, he takes no pleasure in the strength of tanks and aircraft carriers. That's nothing to him. Or in human might, it says, no, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who reverence him, who are in awe, who are constantly amazed at the bigness of God. Are you constantly in fear of the Lord, not afraid of him, but, but reverencing him, understanding his majesty? Does it break you at a deep level every week to think about how incredible it is that God loves you and wants to know you and that he is for you? It says, no, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Everything else in life fails, but not the love of God. Everything in, in else in life has something bigger than it, but not God. God is the biggest. God is the greatest. God is the most majestic. He's the most amazing. Are we constantly amazed at the bigness of God? You see, I think one of the reasons that we cower sometimes and we aren't a strong witness for God in our life, why we aren't necessarily a strong proclamation of God is because we don't see our perspective is so far beneath where he is at that we're afraid of, of other challenges, right? This morning I want to share a story about a person from Scripture that knew, absolutely knew with an unshakable faith and confidence that God is and was bigger than every challenge that he would face. If you go with me in the, in the Scriptures to 1 Samuel 17, and I'm not going to necessarily read this entire story. It's a whole chapter. I'd encourage you to go and read this chapter uh, this week to get a, a perspective of God's bigness. 
But, but this is the story of David and Goliath. Now, how many of you kind of have the Sunday school version of David and Goliath? We, we understand. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this story, and then we're going to go into the Scripture, and we're going to look at one, two, three, four, five. There we go. Five ways that God is bigger, and we see out of this story. But in 1 Samuel 17, we get this story of two armies facing each other in a valley. It was in the nation of Israel, and the, the king at the time was King Saul, and his army was on one side of this valley, and on the other side were the mortal enemy of Israel. It was the Philistines, right? The Philistines, if you want to go real uh, old school there. But the Philistines were there on one side, and they had this guy. He was like Mike Williams for the Philistines. His name was Goliath. Now, we know the name Goliath. It comes down to us even in pop culture as meaning like huge and, and massive. Well, Goliath was the champion of the Philistine army. He was a descendant of the sons of Anak. He was a giant. Now, scholars have really studied, because we don't exactly know how tall he was. If you look in some translations, it'll say he was over nine feet tall. Other translations will say he was like six foot ten. I spent a stupid amount of time researching how tall Goliath is this week. We're talking like plus a couple of hours, like multiple hours on how tall he was. To the best of my research and, and, and looking at sources and looking at different scholars' perspectives, I think Goliath was, was definitely taller than eight feet. So he was, it depends on how you kind of look at the cubits. I'm not going to go into this, right? You don't even want to hear me try to do this math. But Goliath was over eight feet tall. Now, we do know from, from archaeological records how tall the average Jewish uh, or you know, Middle Eastern person was at this period in history, based on their nutrition and their skeletons and stuff, the, the, a full-grown man uh, in, in Israel would have been no taller than about five foot four or five foot five. All right? So who in here is like five foot four, five foot five? Anybody? Okay, Chaja, we stand up. I know you don't want to. Just really quick, you can just stand up. Okay, full-grown man. Okay, thanks. Sit down. Awesome. So David was not a full-grown man. Thank you, Chaja. Give her a hand. She's bold. <laughs> David was not a full-grown man. David was a, was a boy. He was probably about 17 years old at the time this takes place. He was a teenager. David would have been about between five foot, if he was on the shorter side, to about five foot three. So David's about, let's say, five three. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he ate his Wheaties. And, and he wanted to be like Mike, so he grew a little taller. So David is about five foot three. Now Goliath is over eight feet tall, could have been as tall as nine feet, even up to 10 feet, but Goliath is a massive giant. Scripture tells us that his, his armor weighed over 135 pounds. We're talking about human beings, that would have been their average weight at this period of time. Goliath's armor weighed as much, he was like wearing the weight of the guys in his army, okay, just in his armor. Uh, his spear was massive. It said the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. It was, it was massive. It was an, he was an intimidating individual, okay? like Goliath. He's a giant. He's an incredible specimen. And Goliath was the champion of the Philistine army. Now at this period in history, what would happen at times is they would, you'd have a champion from each army and they would go out and face each other. It was kind of like mortal combat. You know what I mean? Street fighter. And they, they would sort of fight and decide the battle for the armies. Now I think this is actually a pretty good idea. Like instead of all of us dying, we're going to pick our biggest dude Ugliest guy with the biggest armor, you know, our giant. We're going to send him out, and you send somebody out. So as we kind of dive into this scene in 1 Samuel 17, what's going on is you have two armies facing each other, and Goliath comes out every morning, and he shouts, Hey, you guys stink. Send out your baddest dude. We're going to go head-to-head. We're going to fight this out. 
And whoever wins this battle between me and whoever you decide to send out is going to win uh, this, this victory. And we're going to take what you have, and you're going to have to surrender to us if I win, and then we'll surrender to you if your guy wins. And he does this day after day after day until Israel feels like a bunch of little cowards because they do not send anybody out. And King Saul's over there in his tent like, who's going to go? Who's going to go? Now, the Bible says that King Saul was a head and shoulders above every guy. So Saul, they think, was about six feet tall, maybe even six foot three. He was literally a foot taller than his army, and he doesn't go out to fight Goliath because Goliath was Goliath, okay? Saul was like my height. David was like Chaja's height. And Saul's not going out to fight Goliath. And Goliath is challenging them day after day, calling them out, and they're cowards and they don't go. But then this kid named David comes along. And his dad had sent him along because his brothers were in the army. And they were conscripted to be soldiers to be in Saul's army. And they weren't given necessarily uh, all the supplies and provisions. Their family had to take care of them. So David says, take this, this cheese and this bread and take these supplies to your brothers. So David goes to the battle. And I just imagine that here's this 17-year-old kid. And as we know from scriptures, David is a lover of God. He's a worshiper. He, he, he loves God with all of his heart. He writes even songs, and he, he's a shepherd. And as he's walking uh, uh, into this valley, probably from the other side, not coming through the enemy's camp, but he hears this shout, and this man, Goliath, his bellowing voice is going across the valley, and he's defying not just the armies of Israel, but he's defying the God that David serves. And he's defying what David stands for, and he's defying what David lives for. And here's all of God's people, and they've got swords and spears, and they could go out and fight, but nobody will. And here's David. And you know what separated him from all those other people? It wasn't his size. It wasn't his skill. It wasn't even his courage. It was his perspective of God's bigness. His perspective of the greatness of the God that he serves. And he comes and he says, listen, why hasn't anybody gone out to fight this guy? And they're like, David, come on. You just wanted to come see the battle. He's like, nope. Isn't there a cause? Listen, I will go and fight that giant. Now I'm sure they're like, okay, pipsqueak, listen. You're five feet tall. Do you see him? That guy will crunch you. He will crumple you. Inside joke for those guys. (laughs) He will squish you into a little ball and roll you into a pretzel and kick you away. You are nothing compared to him. You ever felt like this in life? There's something that you know you need to do. You need to speak up. You need to stand up. You need to step out. You need to take a step of faith, whatever it may be. But you look at the size of the giant, you look at the size of the challenge, and even the people around you say, like, no way. You can't do it. You'll fail. Look at the size of that giant out there. But here he is defying the living God, and David says, I will stand up. If nobody else will, I'm going to go. So King Saul's like, okay, well, we got to volunteer. Uh, so he brings him into his tent, and, uh, and he goes, listen, um, I don't really want to do the PR thing by this kid. He's going to die. Uh, so I'm going to offer him some help. Hey, why don't you wear my armor, David? And he says, why don't you wear my armor? And David tries it on, and he just goes, uh, I don't think so. So not only does he go out to face the giant, but he doesn't do it with any armor. But David was a shepherd. And he tells Saul, listen, I know you think I'm just a punk kid. And I'm paraphrasing scripture here just in case you were worried about that. I know you think, uh, you're like, man, what translation is he reading? That sounds better than the one I'm reading. <laughs> it's really full of uh, adjectives. But... Uh, it's a Jake Schmelzer translation. Don't recommend you, you get it. It's definitely not inspired. But uh, uh, Saul says, you know, uh, looking at this, this kid, and, and, and he tries to give him his armor. David says, no. 
And he, he tells Saul, listen, I'm a shepherd, and when the lion and the bear have come to steal my sheep, the Lord delivered them into my hand. I prevailed over those challengers, the lion and the bear. Justin and Nikki and I were talking about grizzly bear attacks. You know, and I said, you know, it's crazy, like, statistics, there's no grizzly bear attacks in cities, you know, so if you don't want to get eaten by a grizzly, don't go camping, but I'm going to break my own rule today, go camping. But David was out in the wilderness, and the bear came to, to steal a sheep, and he defeated the bear, and the lion came, and he defeated the lion, and he tells Saul, look, every time those challenges came, and, and God is going to deliver this giant into my hand, just like he delivered the lion and the bear. It's not his courage. David's not cocky. He's confident because he knows who God is. David responds to this situation not because of how great or big he thinks he is, right? It's because he knows how great and how big God is, and he's seen the faithfulness of God in his life. Come on. And so David goes out, and he takes five smooth stones, it says. See, he wasn't... David was actually a skilled warrior. He fought lion, he fought a bear, and he used this weapon, a slingshot. And that seems like, I know in our day and age, a slingshot doesn't seem like a formidable weapon. But it, it is said that the tribe of Benjamin could hit, could split a hair with a stone from like 30 yards or something. They, these are not like little tiny slingshots, you know, like pea shooters. They're probably like three to five feet long, leather straps. These guys were excellent. They'd swing it around their head, and they could launch that, that stone like a bullet, Right? and decimate enemy soldiers. And so this is the weapon that David goes out with. So like, in case you think that he didn't know what he was up to, he actually had a pretty good strategy and plan here. And, and David gets these five smooth stones. He goes out, and Goliath, I'm sure, chuckles and like, who is this? And he gets insulted. Like, really? This is who you send out to fight Mike Williams? You know, this is who you send out to fight? Hopefully Mike won't listen to this message, you know. But this is who you send... This is what you send out to fight Goliath. And he says, don't you know that I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds? Like, that's a pretty intimidating thing. You ever have, like, a showdown with your neighbor, and they're like, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Like, that's a, I'm going to talk to the homeowners association about you. I'm going to feed your body to the birds and to the beasts. And David says, no, you're not. I'm going to take your head. Like, these are bold words, you know what I mean? So here's a five-foot-tall, 17-year-old telling this eight-and-a-half-foot-tall giant that he's going to cut off his head. And he says, because God is alive. God is the living God. You do not defy the armies of the living God. You do not defy my God. And so they, they go out. David takes the sling, swings it around his head, releases it, boom, and hits Goliath right between the eyes, knocks him flat down, goes and takes his giant sword and cuts his head off. And they rout the army of the Philistines. So his guys are like, ah, and it turns into like Braveheart at this point or whatever. And they all run across and, and take out the Philistines. And God does a great victory, but not because David was a great warrior, not because he was more brave. I'm sure he was brave. Not because he was so big and so tall and so experienced. No, it was because he had an elevated perspective of God. Come on, I want to stir your faith today that wherever you are, whatever challenge you face, whatever giant you face, it's not the size of the circumstance. It's the size of your God that matters. Come on. It's not the size of the giant you face. It's not the size of the obstacle, the mountain. Every mountain is a molehill to God. Perspective. Perspective. I need to elevate my perspective of God. 
Now, as we jump into the scripture here, I want to give you five things, five principles out of this, this passage. In verse 33 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, Saul is telling David all his shortcomings. And he says, David says to him in verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Listen to what Saul says in verse 33. Don't be ridiculous. Did you know that, that when God leads you to take on a giant, the challenges you're going to face in your life, people are going to say, you know, Justin, don't be ridiculous. Barry, don't be ridiculous. And they're going to be right. Because in the eyes of na- the natural eyes and the natural understanding, they see you as five feet tall and they see the eight foot tall giant and they're right. And on any given day, you would be squashed. But not today, because God is bigger. In verse 33, Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since, since he was a boy. He says, you're only a youth. Goliath's been a man of war since his youth. Number one, God is bigger than our shortcomings. David literally had a shortcoming here. He was short. He was a kid. He's a teenager, and he's facing a battle-hardened warrior who's also a giant. He had some shortcomings, right? How many of you say, I have some shortcomings? Let me tell you, God's glory is seen through your weakness. When we are weak, He is strong. Paul tells us in in in, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, or God says, my grace is all you need. His power works best in weakness. And Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Come on. The power of Christ can work through us, through our weaknesses. He says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. David says, I'm five feet tall, but God is not limited by my size. God is bigger than our shortcomings. Come on, somebody. You have some problems? Welcome to the human race. You got some issues? You don't have enough money? You're too short? You're too silly? You don't have the right sense of humor? You You can't get the job? You can't get the girl? You can't get the guy? Whatever it is, God is bigger than your shortcomings. David knew that God was bigger than his shortcomings. God worked through weakness, even in sending his son Jesus. God didn't plant like King Jesus, 33 years old, strong, right in the city of Rome. Here's the new emperor coming in. No, he was born as a helpless baby in a podunk little country on the outside edge of the known world in a barn. God works through weakness. His strength is revealed in weakness. God delights to confound the wisdom of the wise, right, with what looks like foolishness. But God knows he works through weakness. Why? Because God is bigger than our shortcomings and God gets glory when it looks impossible. Let me just tell you right now that our shortcomings give God an opportunity to get glory. Number two, God was bigger than every challenge. In verse 36, David tells Saul, there was a lion, there was a bear, but God delivered them to me. God knew that, that, or David knew that God is bigger and David knew because God was bigger than every challenge. Do you remember and recount the faithfulness of God in your life? You know, it's interesting. When we face challenges and God delivers us out of them, we oftentimes we have such a short memory. But I want to challenge you to be an altar builder. You know, in the Old Testament, you'd see that God would do something memorable. God would do something momentous. 
in the lives of his people. And they would literally put stones together and they would create an altar. It was a memorial. And when people would go by, they would see that and they would say, remember, that's when God did X, Y, Z. That's when God did this. You know, sometimes we, we, we memorialize like taking selfies and we memorialize the 4th of July and we memorialize and build an altar to events and we have family memories, but we don't memorialize the things that God did in our life. I want to challenge you to be an altar builder, to build an altar and say, look, you know, sit down with your wife or your husband and say, God just did something pretty incredible. Let's write this down. God did something incredible. Let's post it on Facebook. Let's memorialize. Let's remember. Let's, let's celebrate what God has done because God was bigger than every lion. God was bigger than every bear. And when you come and face a giant, you can look back and say, remember when we defeated a lion? Remember when we defeated a bear? Because God was bigger. God is bigger. God will be bigger than every circumstance. Number three, God is bigger than every giant. We talk about this a lot. But David knew that God was bigger than every giant. Every mountain is a molehill to God. Don't look at the size of your, your circumstance. Look at the size of your God. Elevate your perspective. God is bigger than every giant. Everything that can come down the pike in your life, God is bigger. Do not be afraid. You know, it's interesting in in the book of Joshua chapter 1, over and over and over and over, the Lord speaks to Joshua, who was a young leader, and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You need to hear this today. Don't be afraid. God is bigger than every giant. Well, Pastor Jake, I'm afraid of the challenges that God's going to call me to do. Don't be afraid. Your God is bigger. God is bigger than every giant, bigger than every circumstance. Number four, God is bigger than the battle. You know, in verse 47, we're going to jump down to that. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. All right, let's go to verse 46. It says, today the Lord will conquer you. This is David speaking to Goliath. Listen to this boldness. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. I'm going to tell somebody on you, David. That's pretty rude. Disrespectful. I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That right there is a drop-the-mic moment. You know what I'm saying? Are you bold with your words when you know that God is big? Come on, I'm just preaching. And, every, and listen to this in verse 47. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. See, if you come out and it's about, oh, well, we got swords and spears and we're going to do something to you, Goliath. That's not what David said. He said, the Lord will conquer you. David knew where the victory was coming from. Why? Because he knew whose battle it was. It was God's battle. Uh, If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Judah was saying this the other day. You know, if God says, go, this is the challenge that you're going to take on. You're going to start this new business. If God calls you to give a ridiculous amount of money to a missionary, if God calls you to give and be generous, maybe God's challenging you to take up and become a tither and begin to, to give God back that 10% and, and entrust. And maybe God's calling you to, to go to joy groups. And maybe God's calling you to, to share your faith. Whatever God is challenging you to do in your life, if it's his will, it's his bill. It's his battle, right? It's not your battle. See, if you have pride and arrogance, then it's always your battle. And guess who gets to pay the bill? You do. But if you're following God, and you're trusting in God, and God gets the glory, and God, then you can say, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. If God is leading us this way, then God's going to take us through. Come on. And I've seen, I can tell you right now, in my own life, I've seen over and over and over, when I follow God, He takes care of it. There's a song by Keith Green. He's an old songwriter from the 70s and 80s, a Christian songwriter. He's awesome, and I grew up listening to him on Sunday mornings. And 
one of my favorites. Young people listen to it, and they're like, this guy sounds weird. He's singing so high, but I love it. And Keith Green has a song called He'll Take Care of the Rest, right? We trust God, and he'll take care of the rest. God is bigger than the battle. So never be dissuaded from a challenge the Lord has led you to because the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Number five, God is bigger even than the victory. I want to say that whatever you accomplish for God is secondary to knowing God. Whatever great thing that you do through your faith in God and what God does through your life, it's secondary to that. David understood that even after all this great victory was happening, it was still about God. Remember, David was a lover of God. He was a worshiper. He was the man that God said was a man after my heart. David had a heart for God's house. It wasn't about beating the Philistines. It was about God. It was always about God. Does that make sense? Sometimes we fight enemies and fight battles and we get really focused. Oh, well, we're, we're here even to even something great. Like we're here to save the city. No, we're not. We're here to know Jesus. We're here to experience his love and lead other people to know God's love. And it's about God. The glory is going to God. God is greater than the victory. He's bigger than the victory. C.S. Lewis once said, He that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. Sometimes when you take steps of faith, you don't win the battle. But is God with you? Do you have God? Even if David hadn't won the battle, still having done the right thing and courageously going with God and having God and being with God was better than not, right? And he that, like, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, he that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. God is bigger than the victory. Come on, guys, when we elevate our perspective of God, do you see a big God? You see a big God. When we elevate our perspective of God, we will see incredible things take place in our city. In the weeks to come, I'm going to boldly proclaim some things that that I believe God is going to do in our church. I'm going to share some vision about what God is calling us to do and challenges that he's calling us to take on. And I want to encourage you this week to stir your faith and get an elevated perspective of God. You know, I never want to be accused of of us as a group of people building a church that, that we could have done without God. I want us to be challenged every step of the way that if, if we, that we look back and say, if God didn't come through, it wouldn't have happened. If God didn't build Joy Church, if God didn't grow Joy Church, if God didn't challenge each and every one of us individually, then we would never have seen what God did. I want our history book to be a book of miracles in the supernatural, not carefully crafted strategies by, of man. Do you want to see God move in a big way? Elevate your perspective of God. I want to give you three takeaways. I know I'm going over time. Are you okay? Can I have five minutes? All right. I'm having a good time today. Are you having a good time? Okay. We get to blow something up tomorrow. All right. Three takeaways. Number one, believe in a big God. Don't have a weak and worthless faith in a tiny God. Why would you, don't insult God with the level of your faith. Elevate your perspective. Believe in a big God. And what, how, Maybe you think God's really big. Maybe you're like, I believe he's big. See him as bigger today. See him as bigger tomorrow. See him as bigger. Ask him to show you more of himself. Believe in a big God. Don't put your faith in anything other than a God who is bigger than everything. Number two, set your sights on him. When we get our perspective elevated, to God. You know what the next temptation is? See, the first one is that we see God as too small. The second one is we see God as is big and we see that he's powerful, but we get our eyes off of him. We get our eyes off of him. We start looking at the size of the giant. We start looking at the size of the circumstance. We start looking at our size and we feel small. 
right? And we, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's that old hymn that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look upon him. Keep your eyes fixated on God. Keep your heart and mind set and aligned with the reality of the God we serve. Because when you do that, everything else comes into proper perspective. You'll see the real size of every challenge. Every mountain is a molehill to God. Keep your sights set. Don't look at yourself or your circumstances. Number three, be bold because God is big. Be bold because God is big. What are you going to do for the kingdom because God is with you? David is just walking to deliver food. He's literally the water boy. And all the players are out there playing the game or not too scared to play the game. So here comes the the water boy, bringing the bread, bringing the cheese, bringing the, the water for his big brothers. Probably kind of embarrassed, right? And even his brothers are like, man, you just wish you were on the team. And he says, and I want you to think about yourself at Autzen Stadium. And there you are, and Coach Helfrich finally wises up and realizes we can't put Jeff Lockie in the game. So therefore, we got to call somebody else. Sorry, Jeff. I love you, Jeff. Coach Helfrich looks up in the stands and he goes, and you're like, me? Yeah. And you're just the person that's carrying water or whatever, but you're called out and it's time to step up because you believe God is bigger and it's time to be bold because God is big. What are you going to do for the kingdom of God? What, what is God going to call you to do? What is God going to put before your eyes? I want to tell you right now that God is going to blow your mind. He's going to blow your mind with what he does through your life. I've been convicted this week because I've been going, God, I know you're bigger, and yet I always have such small vision. All my goals are so achievable. Oh, God, you know, our church could grow from 50 to 52. <laughs> Lord, I just believe we could grow from 80 to 81. Now, even listen to your prayers. Do you pray bold prayers? Do you believe in a big God? Be bold because God is big. God is going to blow our minds with the things he wants to do. And, and you personally, in your life, but also in our church, God wants to see this city revolutionized with the gospel. But come on, it's going to take bold Christians. Not quiet, cowed down, people sitting there waiting for somebody else to go out and fight a giant. God says, be bold because I am big. I'm, I'm with you. David was recklessly bold. To the untrained eye, those who couldn't see what was actually going on behind the scenes, he appeared to be foolish because he was taking on a challenge that far surpassed his capacity, far surpassed his ability. But David was not recklessly bold because he was cocky or arrogant. He was recklessly bold because he knew that God was big. And he trusted in a ridiculously powerful, awesome God. Incomprehensibly incredible. Come on, somebody. God is inconceivably incomprehensibly incredible. He blows our mind. Do we see? Are we constantly amazed by him? We need to constantly remind ourselves, my God is bigger than every challenge. And I can be bold because God is big. I can tell somebody about Jesus because God is big. I can give because God is big. I can start a business because God is big. I can go to the mission field because God is big. Come on. I can see an amazing church birthed in a city that that isn't supposed to to love Jesus, right? People always go, man, you guys are in Eugene. That's a hard city. I go, I love it because people need Jesus here, right? This isn't the Bible Belt yet. Be bold because God is big. Let's stand up today.